All right. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Thanks for joining. If you are new to the show, I would like to take a moment just to encourage you to jump back to the very first episode of the project. It's a brief intro. It's about six or seven minutes long, but provides some really helpful context just about the nature of this project and how it differs from most. So I think it's context worth having going into any episode. But for those of you who are return listeners, thanks for coming back. And if you'd like to just skip the housekeeping altogether, totally understandable, no hard feelings, but just jump forward about five minutes and and listen for the music. But for those of you who would like to stick around, I do have a few updates. So the Substack is alive and well. For those of you who have been deriving some real or meaningful value from the show and would be interested in some additional supplemental content or a space to support the show or the project in general, that's going to be your best place to do that, as well as anyone who would be interested in exploring, sharing some of their own content in an anonymous format or contributing to the show. In time, I am trying to build more of a sense of community around the concept of just creating a space for individuals to more genuinely share themselves with the world without fear of judgment or insecurity or limitations around identity. So if that resonates with you at all, there's definitely a space for that. That's impostersanonymous.substack.com. Any work submissions would go to impostersanonymous at gmail.com. Ultimately, I'd, I'd love for this project to be able to grow into something that's truly collaborative and even where submissions could be rewarded for their merit or for their response from the community. But that and other broad or ambitious aims I have for this project are truly dependent on listener support. So of course it goes without saying, but any of it is truly appreciated no matter what support looks like for you as an individual. But on that front, I think it's important to note that there's something that I recently, I guess, changed my tune on to a significant degree. And previously, I've taken a pretty firm stance on not using social media to some degree personally and for this show itself. And after a recent conversation and I guess a handful of conversations really, as well as a good amount of contemplation, I've, for whatever it's worth, decided to take the dive. And in the past, I've been kind of working from the null hypothesis that it, on average, does more harm than good. And I think I still feel that way, but... I think I've decided that it's time that I try to walk that tightrope and that social media is a tool, quite a dangerous one, quite a capable one. And though it might take a lot of diligence and the proper framework or rules or whatever it takes to A, manage it personally without it being harmful to me and my mental health, but B, to not allow it to be something that encumbers the the aims and, and nature of this project in the long term. It will require some, maybe some unorthodox methods, but I do think if there is a ceiling to be reached for, 
to extend the project to a new, more diverse audience and to connect with potential collaborators and guests for the show. I mean, I I guess I really don't have to go on and on about the potential of social media and the force it can be for good and for dynamism, but maybe it shares enough common ground with other incredible tools like fire or love or the internet or literature or psychedelics that that do have immense risk baked into them. And I do try to urge caution and mindfulness and limitations in regards to the use of these tools. So maybe I'm wrong. I honestly hope that I am. And what this project is and becomes is of course, very fluid. So this is more of an experiment than anything else. I would hope if it starts to take on a a negative form or something that takes away from the project, I'd be able to step away. But for now, as I've said, I'm taking the dive. So I guess I'll leave it at that. And if you're still here, thanks for hanging in. And I hope you enjoy the show. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Jenna, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brandon. I'm super excited about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm super glad to have you. Um, how are you feeling? I'm doing great. I don't even know what day is it, Tuesday? Tuesdays are great for me, so I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you don't even know what day it is. That's, uh, that's a pretty high endorsement. Yeah. Right? Oh, I feel <laughs> like a lot of people right now feel that way with days melting into one another. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's kind of a positive thing when I don't know what day it is. Right. I guess there could be some negative connotations, but I feel like in general, <laughs> only missed I lose appointments. Track, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. But I think sometimes having kind of a, a clear schedule in that sense is, is a good feeling. Um, is there anything that in particular you would suggest is the the main contributor to you feeling good like is there anything on a day-to-day basis that you feel like is a prerequisite to a good day yeah I um the nice part about the way that I function is that I don't necessarily have like a nine-to-five job in terms of my hours Mm. um no day that I have is ever the same So, um, there's ideas of my hours and my work schedule and things I need to get done. But, um, I have some days that are more considered half days and one of those days is today. So Mm. I kind of use that to where I'm super productive in the morning because I'm a morning person and Mm. try to get all the things in my brain done. And then towards the end of the day, it's, I can kind of fill it in with, however I see fit. And usually it's relaxing, even though it seems to be a middle of the week. I just try to kind of just relax and make sure I'm not, you know, 
building up stressors, anxieties going into the week. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, Tuesdays are a good day. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Yes. Is there uh, is there any particular way that you you decompress at the end of the day? Or? Um. So lately, a good two months ago, I kind of started doing meditation. I've always, okay. I've always attempted the act and practice of meditation. I was mm-hmm. introduced in high school actually with yoga, but I never truly felt like I grasped the concept until recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that I've noticed has helped my mental day to day even, um, mm-hmm. heavily in the past few months since I've really started doing it regularly. Right. Is is there anything of note that you feel like changed in um, regards to just how you interacted with the the process or the the ritual? Yeah, I think I actually was just talking about this the other day. I really started working on my, you know, mental health, I let's call it. Um mm-hmm. Probably back in 2017. It seems very like a very particular year, but mm-hmm. I I've always been more of an aware person, very emotionally based, um, empathetic, and I've always tried to make sure that I was happy and I liked enjoying certain things. But at the, at the same time, I would also hold on to stressors and anxieties a lot more. Mm. I've noticed as well over the years, and um, a couple friends of mine have been so involved in the mental health aspect for the last few years when in regards to health mm-hmm. and when i was in grad school i really i mean i was forced to take that responsibility on of improving my mental health how mm-hmm. i handle stress how i manage my time and so it was almost like a forced time frame for me to really try to build up what works for me because if not it's kind of a sink or swim situation mm. when you're in a level of of school like like grad and med school are mm-hmm. so that's kind of why i've noticed the last few years i've just been building up the receptiveness of how i handle like meditation i wasn't mm-hmm. great at it and i think recently because i've been working at it continuously it just it's becoming easier and mm-hmm. i see the benefits a lot a lot more right yeah yeah i mean i feel like everyone has a different I guess, journey or relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who I feel like, I guess maybe just got a little bit lucky on that front where when I first started giving it a shot, it was something that, that just really kind of landed for me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of at first assumed that that was a more so normal thing. And so when I kind of tried to share it with others, I often thought that it was just like, okay, this is kind of what it's like for everyone, that this is this kind of relatively at-base enjoyable experience, even beyond like what the actual process and and practice of it is and the benefits that you're getting from it, like on a functional level. Mm -hmm. It was just something that I kind of liked sitting with my thoughts or, or just sitting in silence, even though my meditation practice looks a lot different than that now as I've as it's evolved, but it was something that just doing that was something that I already kind of did just without a framework. And so at first I was kind of like, oh, this is at worst, this is kind of nice where 
I know for some people it's like, unless you really have a lot of framing and guidance, the whole experience of just sitting with things is actually quite uncomfortable <laughs> at, at base. And I, I didn't quite realize that or experience it too much until the past couple of years mm-hmm. that that could be something that was actually quite unsettling or uncomfortable at base and that you're having to to really focus and really have the proper preparation and guidance to to bring it around to something that's constructive. That's so interesting you say that because something I noticed amongst I've always been in the medical world of just Mm -hmm. like my schooling journey. And a lot of my close friends are all now medical residents or chiropractors or someone affiliated in the healthcare world. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a big theme um, through my meditative practice. It's something I've become more aware of is that a lot of medical professionals, myself included, they have an identity problem, identity crisis, just Mm. like they don't, we are so quick to identify with medicine or whatever it is our passion is for schooling. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed since I just recently graduated two years ago, and a lot of my friends are on the tail end of their schooling to transition to the real world is you go through an identity crisis and you're uncomfortable sitting in your personal thoughts or your Mm. personal stressors or anything on the external world that doesn't have to do with school because school was always a fallback for so many years Mm. that you almost use it as a crutch for like any time that you feel confused or sad or anxious or, you know, that's like your, your purpose Mm -hmm. for so long. And that was something that meditation helped me pull out of is mm-hmm. rearrange like, okay, who am I and how does my career complement that? Not really the other way around, but right. um, it, it was, it's, it's still a process that I'm, you know, working mm-hmm. on now, but that was something that I heavily had an issue with the past two years being out in my career officially. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. really where it's helpful. That's fascinating. I I never quite thought about it that way. And I have no experience really on that front or I maybe in in such a intense and demanding environment. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people, whether it be in a space like the medical field or essentially just anything that's very consuming, it's it's always a place to go, mentally speaking, that and to some extent, I've experienced that, that I, I used to write a lot, mm-hmm. uh, especially my early years in college. And I was working on a an extensive project that, that took about a year and a half, two years to complete. And so for me at the time, it was like a great thing to be lost in thought, especially from a, a creative writing perspective. But it was always where I went. Like anytime I wasn't doing something else that's where my brain went. I just was Mm -hmm. thinking about that. I was just writing in my head. I was going to that world. And in a way, like you kind of spoke to, it was, it was strange to be done with it Mm -hmm. and to not have a place to go all of the time that was consuming. And then over the years, I guess it's kind of been on and off where it's, you know, I, I worked for a startup for a while 
that I was super passionate about. It actually was in the kind of the healthcare space to some extent, but then for a time, and that was kind of immediately following that, to be fair, there wasn't too much of a gap. So then I had that and it was just like, I was always thinking about how to push that forward and how to make things happen on that front. Mm -hmm. But it does allow for a certain neglect in a way for what is really happening <laughs> internally and, and what what your brain really has to offer when you just kind of let it function and what you might have been ignoring or not addressing or processing in, in other aspects of life or even on a subconscious level. So it's it's definitely interesting to hear you speak to that because I'm sure it's it's turned up you know by a factor of ten for for people who have to go through that experience of just such intense learning and such a such a <clears throat> such a consuming task of of trying to learn so quickly and so aggressively and in a lot of ways at least from what i've heard kind of at all costs in regards yeah. to you know your 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 personal health your your sleep habits your everything you kind of have to to sacrifice and in a way i get it like because you have to have such a i guess kind of a trial by fire to mm -hmm. for people to to feel confident about people thriving in that space almost like soldiers right where it's like you kind of the training they go through is extreme but you don't necessarily want people who haven't been through some shit to to be the ones you know in the er right uh but that's definitely interesting to hear you say that because i hadn't yeah. thought about it in a long time yeah it it's like i said it, it's more so just like my personal opinion on like what I've been observing and hearing friends of mine talk. And I think, like I said before, I've been doing so much work on my own mental. I've been able to kind of like come out from a bird's eye view lately mm -hmm. and kind of look and hear and listen to people talking. A lot of my friends, they're going through a rough time. And I felt guilty through the pandemic because I actually had one of the best years of my life, I guess you could say, or of my adult life, mm. um, in multiple different avenues. But I felt guilty for a little while, like saying that because you see mm -hmm. a lot of other people and people in my field that were struggling. So that's why now I view it in a different way. It's, it's just that I had been doing so much personal growth for so long and mm -hmm. it was just starting to connect the dots and I was able to apply it in a time like 2020 which where mm -hmm. the world slowed down a little bit so right. it's been interesting yes yeah yeah i'm sure i mean it's it's definitely it's something i can relate to mm -hmm. not that not that 2020 was necessarily i don't know i don't know if i have the same perspective i think it was a, a fine year for me mm -hmm. in a lot of ways i think it was a, a good year for me in a lot of ways i think it was a, a pretty rough year for me and in, in a lot of ways as well it's kind of all over the place which i think most people can can probably relate mm -hmm. to um but i guess more so what i'm saying i can relate to is that sense of guilt you sometimes that creeps in anytime that something is going well for you but you're also acutely aware of how it's not going well for others close to you and that can be a hard thing to to sit with and not carry a decent amount of negative emotion on a day-to-day -day basis just because things are going well for you, which in theory serves or helps no one, right? right. At, at the end of the day, it's not like you're helping them by just 
feeling bad about the, the disparity of, of luck in the moment, but it's definitely hard to, I guess, kind of what you spoke to, or we both spoke to earlier. For me, it's often a place that I go when I'm sitting with my thoughts is even if I can, for myself, I can find a very, a, a state of, of equanimity. I can, I can find a middle ground. I can find some peace in myself, but then sometimes I'm like, I feel bad that others can't, right? Mm -hmm. I feel bad that others that I care about because lots of other things that they have going on in their lives mm -hmm. aren't able to to find these moments of, of stillness. And so it's, it's always this kind of ongoing tension where of course it's not helping them for me to feel that way. It's not like if it was, that would be a different story if somehow guilt translated into benefit for others it would be a very different story, but it just doesn't. And it's, there's only, it, it's only a net negative experience for anyone to, to experience right. guilt. So it's, it's hard to resist and, and it's hard to remind yourself regularly that you shouldn't feel bad just because you're thriving or things are going well for you. But I think it, on the other side of it, it sometimes can be helpful to, for it to be a little bit of a reality check, just to kind of continually remind yourself that just because things are going well right now, naturally, you're probably going to catch some bad luck in the future or you're going to mm -hmm. have a rough patch and that's just kind of life and the ups and downs of it. So uh, that's not to say to not enjoy the, right. the good moments of life, but to say that um, just maintaining a sense of perspective or a bird's eye view, as you put it, that it's it's all relative and, and tends to balance out in the long run. Right. And I realized too that the feeling I had at first felt like guilt, which really was the fear-based, you know, voice coming out that mm -hmm. um that that ego that you build for mm -hmm. so long of like, oh, what are you know, I don't want someone to think of me in this way or perspective. Oh, if this girl's so happy, mm -hmm. how is that? The rest of the world's on fire and but then I realized I can word what I've learned and what's happening to me at the moment in a way that's empowering for mm. other people, not so much bragging. So that's something that I've been working on the last few mm. months is how do I share my story and my recent um, like efforts of of doing well in a way that's not so much like oh look what I'm doing and you know and especially in the world of social media where so much mm -hmm. is up to to interpretation by the viewer, right. um, but more share in a sense of hey I'm doing it you can too I'm here to help mm -hmm. in a gratitude way not not in a this is my life and I'm doing so great aspects. So that's something that I'm working on that when I do meditate, it's usually like focused meditation. For me, it mm. works best. And I try to focus on either an idea or something like that I'm working towards and just whatever mm. thoughts manifest from that. Um, and it's been doing wonderful things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly glad to hear that. Um, I think it's one of those things where it's it's a difficult expectation to have mm -hmm. for people, especially when they are suffering or dealing with difficult things to 
to try to have that perspective of seeing any anything good in the world is mm-hmm. positive and it's maybe maybe it's too lofty of a goal right and i don't think it's fair to expect that from people but in an ideal world obviously we could anytime we saw someone doing well anytime we saw someone in a in a state of of joy or you saw someone progressing that would just be like a, a net positive thing for everyone that we could celebrate that together mm-hmm. but in after a year like 2020 it's 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 hard to feel that way all the time but at the same time i feel like it is important for people to see that it's not that there is a spectrum right that not everyone is is suffering in the same way and that some people that the, it's i don't know it's something i it's hard for me to get into without really explaining some of my thoughts on mm-hmm. on luck and and even free will but i i just feel like i personally feel like more in life can be attributed to luck than than the average person and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i don't think it even takes agency away from people i think it just means that sometimes things work out in other people's favor and there's a lot of people who start from a very difficult place or who ridiculously terrible things happen to and that's that's really unfortunate but at the same time it's it doesn't take anything away from them or mm-hmm. what they're they're capable of so i think sometimes people need reminders that theoretically speaking things will turn up for them in the future if they remain i guess steadfast in in their efforts or they don't internalize it or feel like okay just because i had a rough year it doesn't mean i'm a shitty person or that that my life is ruined or that this is something that will curse me for the rest of my life it's more so that you, you maybe you just had a bad year you just had a few breaks that didn't go your way and there's lots of people out there who broke their way and and maybe in a year that'll be you or maybe in five years. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I say all that just to say that I think sometimes it, it can be helpful, at least for me, even when I'm struggling with something to, to see some people just having good breaks. I'm not even saying like winning the lottery or anything crazy like that, right. but that if, if you're able to remain somewhat detached from the outcomes of life sometimes and remember that what's important is internal and that in time if you're if you're grateful and you're mindful there will be wins to celebrate right. even if at the moment it's it's not your time i think also something that i realize is people don't know what makes them happy you know like people mm-hmm. will compare um like you were saying with luck or, you know, other people's wins or losses, Mm -hmm. or if someone's going through a hard time, they're so quick to list all the things that are wrong in their life. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I always, I don't know why, but I always hated the phrase, you know, someone else has it worse or Mm. at least you're not so-and-so or this person or that, you know, in this place. Mm -hmm. 
I only say that because you will drive yourself crazy if you did that, especially as like a sympathetic person who actually cares about other Mm -hmm. people's, you know, situations and circumstances. So I always thought of it as if someone's in a rut and they can't seem to get out and then they start to judge or they feel the comparison to other people or they feel like it's hard to, um, oh, I, I, I will never get that or, oh, I came Mm -hmm. from this place. So how could I possibly get to this, you know, Mm -hmm. level as someone else? And then I realized, I think a lot of times it's just purely that that person hasn't figured out what they want. And I say that in a vague way, but I'm being Mm -hmm. like very, very primitive, like what it is that, that gives them that feeling inside of like, oh, like that just made me feel so good. You know, that Mm -hmm. like fluttery feeling. If people right. focused more on what what triggers that, then no matter where they're at in their circumstance of life, mm. they'll be able to persevere to you know to a time frame that's realistic to them. You know, everybody's mm. different. Some people are good tomorrow. Some people it takes a year. Some right. people, you know, it just depends. But I I've noticed that I didn't know what made me happy. I had all these like ideas of what I wanted. And all mm-hmm. these goals, and I grew up in this place, so I'm exposed to so many different things that maybe someone else isn't. But mm-hmm. I realized deep down that I didn't really know what it was that triggered my drive for certain things in life mm-hmm. until recently. So that's something I challenge people when they're feeling like they're stuck in their job and mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're they feel down on, really thinking about what it is that makes them feel happy, even if they don't feel it in that moment. Mm-hmm. It might help pull them in a direction that they didn't see before. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just I mean, connect to someone. Like, you know, us connecting, mm-hmm. it makes you talk more. It makes your brain think. It it gives you imagination if, if ideas you just didn't think about before mm-hmm. spark something new. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot to be said about just remaining open mm-hmm. to life. And I think as a defense mechanism, it's it's very valuable to, to be closed right. at times, right? I mean, sometimes that's what we need in life. And I think that's also one of the other difficult aspects of life is that sometimes what you need at times because of certain circumstances is not what you need in others, but right. you just adapt habits around those. And so sometimes it's hard to look back on on things that you did, or let's just say you were very closed off at a per- certain point in your life. Let me take myself as, as an example. I certainly was. Um, I was dealing with a lot at, at a time. This was in high school. Mm-hmm. There's There's plenty of story to it, but Essentially, you know, my mom had cancer and it was my senior year and I just kind of had this very, I felt like it was what I needed for the most part to kind of close myself off to most things and just to kind of hunker down, finish up school, move on and and not really worry about too much else. And mm-hmm. as a young kid, it definitely gave me a sense of perspective that I feel like not many people around me had because I just... I felt like everything else was kind of just not important. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it it did 
allow me to justify not opening up to others. I, I didn't really share my experience at all, even with my closer friends. And I'm not even saying that I regret that because mm -hmm. at the time, I think it's just what I needed to get through that, uh, to to be there for my mom and, and to deal with the things that I had to deal with. It was just what I needed. So it's it's sometimes easy for me to look back and say, man, like that wasn't the best way to handle that or worry about that as a defense mechanism in the future. But I think as much as people can look back and not judge themselves and just say, I, I did what I needed to do to get through that experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's it's totally subconscious and it's not something worth, as we already spoke to, feeling guilty about. It's just that we we adapt and we learn, but most of the time we're just trying to protect ourselves or our, our concept of ourselves. I feel like that's kind of, at least to me, one of the most clear motivators in life and how I often find it, I guess I find it helpful when I'm trying to understand other people's actions is, mm -hmm. is what are you trying to protect? Is it, is it something about yourself? Is it your self-concept? Is it your actual physical safety? Are you really scared? Are you afraid? Are you afraid of being rejected, ostracized socially? We have lots of fears right? because those things are, terrifying <laughs> you know there's there's lots of things in life that are that are hard to address and that we recoil from in a natural state mm -hmm. so i guess i say all that to say that it's it, it's all too easy to to look back and hindsight is 2020 and so we're, we're always looking back and saying man that that probably could have been different or maybe i should have handled that that way but for me sometimes it helps to to not even really say those things or to even speak to, not to say that I, I can't acknowledge mistakes, but to to say that you, you did the best with what you had at the mm -hmm. time. And that doesn't mean that you should do it going forward. Right. You obviously should learn, but to, to give yourself a hard time for what you've done in the past isn't really getting you anywhere because it, I, ideally, or at least in theory, you've changed since then. You've, mm -hmm. you've evolved. You, you're, an always evolving person and you're trying to progress. So it almost would be silly to hold yourself to the same standards that you hold yourself to now, especially when you're talking about a decade ago or when you were a child. But I feel like it's because we often have these ideas that are a little too rigid surrounding our identity. We feel like we're always kind of this same thing that has been moving through the world since we were young. And that's, just not really the case considering how considering the neuroplasticity that we have and how much we're influenced by everything that we do and experience on a day-to-day -day basis it's just you, you change every minute we're, we're different at the end of this conversation than we are when we started yeah that's actually the basis of my entire career is the word change because i deal i mean in general, it's like a triangle of physical, mental, nutritional, right? That's like mm -hmm. kind of the the goal of alternative medicine in general and mm -hmm. and modern medicine as well. But but the mental side is everything we've been talking about, which is like past experiences, personalities, egos, things that we've protected or changed in the mental. And I I pry that out of my patients 
every time, every day, you know, mm-hmm. we like, we're digging up things from when someone was two years old that applies to not only their physical ailment, but now their mental component around that. And you start mm-hmm. to find out so many things about people that they're harnessing that it just, you know, it all goes together. We forget everything's connected most of mm-hmm. the time. You know, we right. just try to compartmentalize and it's really not realistic to do that mm-hmm. in every space, not just the mental space. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like there's anything of note or maybe even just like a reoccurring thing that you notice in people that I guess to be more specific, considering what you do on a chiropractic front that you feel like things that tend to come out or things that you you feel like a lot of people tend to, I guess, harness or that, that tends to manifest itself in the body? Yeah, I, most, well, most of what I do is chronic in nature, um, in terms of like what people come in with. Uh, I work mostly in an active athletic based practice. So most of the patients I see are, um, some level of athlete and usually younger. Um, and then the rest, you know, maybe 15% of our patient population is of any other age. And they're, you know, they're not necessarily a pro athlete, but they're extremely active in some form. Mm -hmm. But most of the things that I'm treating or, um, handling with the patient is chronic pain chronic patterns of like muscle imbalance or posture, um, chronic mentality that's attached to those things, Mm. um, chronic internal disorders that have gone unmanaged and now have manifested in some physical form. And so you start to realize if I just neglected the mental component of someone Mm. and I'm just, you know, you come in with shoulder pain. And I don't ask you how you manifest stress or, um, past traumas that have, you know, rewired your body in that sense, because, because people neglect that your brain takes in all the information from your external. So, Mm. so it's something I've really taken passion to is, I mean, my first interaction with a patient is usually an hour and a half. And it's just, I'm digging. I mean, I'm Mm. digging. Like I have a passion for internal medicine in general, just Mm -hmm. anything you can imagine with like immune system, gut health, hormone balance, neurological components. Um, Obviously the musculoskeletal side is already a given with what I do, Mm. but I'm, I mean, just the other day I had a patient who's well into her forties, a mom has had underlying issues with immune issues and other, you know, internal issues. And then we, we pry back and we realize she has vision symptoms. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing a story about when she was two years old and her and her mom got hit by a freight train while in the car. And, you know, her mom's in a coma and she has traumatic injury to her eye And so Mm -hmm. we unravel all of this to realize, oh, that's what's 
affecting her neck pain and the headaches she gets and the vision symptoms that have now developed into her 40s. And it's just, you know, I start to, it's, it's a puzzle. Everybody's a puzzle. And Mm. if you're not, if you're missing pieces, you can only get so far Mm. with someone's healing process. And I'm not going to heal everyone and not heal them a hundred percent, but I would be doing a disservice if I didn't incorporate the things that I'm doing with myself, even with the mental component, um, Mm just all the tools that are out there to kind of help put someone back together almost is how I view Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's fascinating to hear about. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it makes sense when you, when you spell it all out and when you look at it from a a more holistic perspective, but it's definitely still surprising. And and I, I would bet that there's a lot of people who, who carry things like that on a, on a somewhat subconscious level that you, you just don't even realize or, or think about how things might be related or you just might not even be able to access it. To my point earlier, if it was something you had to do to protect yourself at a young right. age, you just might not be able to get there because you, you put it away because you needed to at a time, but later in life, whether it be at least 38 years or, or however long later, at a certain time, you might be able to regain access to it and be like, okay, maybe now is the time to to finally break down that barrier or or unpack this and and see what can come of it. But it, it's definitely one of those things that I feel like is, I guess I would say overlooked or maybe just not even, it's a stone that goes unturned a lot in, in traditional medicine, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately so. And, and there's obviously reasons for that, but... I guess I'm just kind of curious, A, how you got into, I guess we'll call alternative medicine mm-hmm. and why, I guess maybe why you went that route as opposed to the more traditional one, considering, as you said, you, a lot of your friends, peers took that route. Yeah, actually it it starts back from when I was nine years old. I I've always been like a nerd naturally, you know, just like I, I liked school and I, I did well in it. So it was fun for me. Um, it's nice. Yeah, no. And, and I know a lot of people are not the same. I just, I, there was something that I could do when I was in school that I could do well and still be social. And it just was like a well-balanced thing for me. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was nine years old, I had strep throat like every other kid gets. Mm-hmm. Um, in summer camp, you know, you're around a bunch of dirty kids. And so I came home, my pediatrician put me on antibiotics. And a week later, we realized, you know, I'm getting worse. And Mm -hmm. um, now it's turning into this systemic reaction. I'm, you know, I'm not holding food down. And my parents, I mean, I'm still young. So a lot of this is also like story from my parents that, you know, their uh, perspective on the whole thing. But uh, I just wasn't holding food or water down. I was losing weight. And when kids are sick, they tend to lose or gain weight a lot faster than adults do. So it's like very right. noticeable if something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so within a matter of weeks, even I was just like losing a ton of weight and, um, started developing a weird rash on my legs that 
kind of appeared like poison ivy from what I remember and what my parents had told me, which is why they were so confused on how to handle the situation. Because mm. it seemed like logical things a kid would have. Oh, strep throat. Oh, some sort of rash from playing outside. Mm. Um, but they brought me back in to the pediatrician when I was not getting better. And all of a sudden, I will always remember this. It's just like that little kid imagination brain. I remember my doctor who I saw until I was 20, um, opening this, to me, it looked like one of those like books you see in a movie about like Harry Potter, you know, one of those like <laughs> giant wizard right. books, you know, that's alive, but I'm sure it wasn't mm. that at all. But sure. she's looking through, you know, matching symptoms. And it actually, it's funny because now I, I, I do it now as a doctor, you know, I go back mm. and I research things and it's exactly what she was doing for me. And, um, immediately looked at my dad and said, you, you have to take her to the hospital because whatever mm. this is, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't look good is essentially what she was piecing mm. together. Right. So fast forward, I, you know, was moved to a specialty hospital for kids, women and children. And um, I spent, I believe it was like three to four weeks total mm. in the hospital system um, because they didn't know what was going on. So wow. long story short, my kidney started to fail. I had 10% function of my right kidney and my left one Jeez. was going down as well. Um, I got so many blood tests because they kept having to test for whatever was going on that they had to start doing it on my foot because mm. my arms were so bruised. I had two IVs. I had a biopsy. So I went under for surgery. Um, and then fast forward, finally, they figured out that strep throat naturally travels if it's gone unmanaged or your body can't handle mm. it well. It will travel to the kidney as a, as a common area, especially in right. kids. So that had gone to my kidney and created an infection, but it triggered an autoimmune condition at the same time because mm. my immune system just went haywire. So that was that hard, difficult diagnosis they couldn't figure out was the autoimmune part of it. Gotcha. So finally they got that under control. I was on steroids for nine months. I blew up like a balloon. I was in fifth grade. Yeah, I'm sure. I lost all my muscle mass. Like I remember going back to school and for PE, they try to get you to run around the track mm. and I, I just couldn't. Like I thought I could and I actually fell. It was so oh, embarrassing. Um, That's awful. Yeah, it was, it's, it, it's so vivid in my brain, you know, but, um, but then that marked my intrigue of just like what was going on with my body. You know, I'm still mm. a kid, so it's traumatic, but I'm not handling it that way at the time. Mm. Um, I would see the doctors all the time from then until 18 years old. And I just built that like natural curiosity of science and the body and medicine. So I knew I was going to be a doctor um, of some sort. I, I That's all I wanted to do. So mm. originally I went in with the intention of doing pre-med to apply to medical school. Um, I actually saw chiropractors growing up because I was always in sports. Like I was an athlete forever. Mm -hmm. and always getting injured and um 
So chiropractic wasn't foreign to me, but it wasn't in my scope of what I wanted at the time. Right. Uh, so now I'm an undergrad. I'm doing pre-med. I'm super stressed out. Um, for some reason, in undergrad school, the grade part of school wasn't coming to me as easily. Mm-hmm. Like just getting good grades and doing all the things you have to do to even be considered for medical school. Like I just, it wasn't connecting. Right. Um, and I started developing more health problems. So mm-hmm. it was just this interesting thing. So what I did is I worked in an emergency room for experience to put on my resume. Mm-hmm. And I was a scribe. So I just went around and I followed the doctors and I just wrote all their notes for them in the ER. And so was, you can imagine the things yeah. that I saw. That's um, intense. It was intense. And the doctors are just as intense. So it was definitely, and I was shy still. So it was like, it was a really, I felt like I was in boot camp for myself at that mm-hmm. time, um, pushing me out of my comfort zone. But I was also getting super dizzy and just just stuff started coming, very vague symptoms, stuff that I was okay, but I noticed I wasn't 100% every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, college, you're not taking care of yourself as well and the stress and all of that. So I'm sure a lot of that had something to do with it. So um, I remember I'm in the ER one day and this older gentleman, probably like a dad age, came in with just very basic low back pain. He had been doing yard work and he threw his back out and he came into the ER because it was later at night. So it was like the only option. Mm -hmm. And I remember the doctor just took an x-ray and I don't remember having like a very extensive exam. Obviously it's the ER. They have, you know, their, their time isn't as, as free as it should be. And, um, he that that now I look back and I, I realize an x-ray is not going to show you a whole lot for what his complaint was. It just mm-hmm. really was to rule out any major like fracture or something, right? But mm-hmm. I look back now as a trained chiropractor, I'm like, wow, there's a billion things we could have looked at and done for this guy. But instead they put him on um a really strong painkiller called Dilaudid. Um mm-hmm. and he ended up having a massive reaction to the pain medication. He oh. turned super pale. He was sweating. His blood pressure tanked. Um, so they had to admit him overnight mm. for low back pain. So I'm right. sitting there like <laughs> it was like this whole epiphany. And I'm like, you know, naturally with no training, just the background of being a healthy athlete growing up. It's like, man, there's so many things we could have done for that guy. And I, sw- I immediately decided. For some reason, there was resistance in my life to the medical route in school, even though Mm -hmm. I was usually a good student. And now I'm seeing this whole change of how I would treat a patient. And it's not lining up with Mm -hmm. traditional medicine like I thought I would love, right? Right. So, So I remember I graduated undergrad and I had a decision. Do I do some more things to make myself competitive for med school or do I look at other options, which I hadn't done yet? Mm-hmm. And someone had mentioned chiropractic school because at the time, physical therapists weren't a doctorate. 
Um, mm. So really the only person that would be semi on the level of a doctor where you can like diagnose on your own, run for imaging, run for lab work, you know, everything mm. on your own um, right. was a chiropractor. Gotcha. And they're just so happened to be a school in Florida that I was interested in. So now all of a sudden things seem to be way easier for me. Mm -hmm. The interview process, the, the application process, the curriculum, like things just started falling into place. And I realize now that resistance in your life, sometimes people need to be more aware of mm -hmm. because it might mean the universe or whatever someone believes in is telling them that that might not be their path even mm -hmm. if they thought it was their whole life, which is right. exactly what happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I went into chiropractic school in 2014, and I had resistance at first. I had to change sure. my whole mindset. I was medicine for my whole life, and mm -hmm. now I'm in a field that's not necessarily anti-medicine because the school I went to is very evidence-based. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of my teachers were retired MDs, PhDs, mm -hmm. um, athletes, uh, all kinds of people. So I was lucky that I got, it wasn't too hard of a transition because mm -hmm. it kind of fit the scope of modern medicine in a way. Right. Um, but it, it took about a year in, in chiropractic school for me to accept what I was doing mm -hmm. because you hear, oh, chiropractors are quacks and it's not mm -hmm. real doctor, not real medicine. And so right. it, it, took a shot to my ego. I had just worked hard to do medicine and I just changed it on a whim. And now I'm mm -hmm. like fighting myself almost. Right. Um, so that's how I got there. That is yeah. how I got there. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting journey, but yeah, it, it, it certainly tracks and at least in my eyes comes full circle for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly, did you make, I guess uh, a full recovery of sorts? I just, I know I'm jumping back, but it oh, seemed yeah. like things were pretty um, severe when you were a kid. Yeah. So funny, actually all through chiropractic school, I got worse. So I was mm. in the ER as a patient multiple times. I, I just started developing symptoms that were becoming unmanageable all at the same time. I'm learning about everything that could possibly go wrong in the body. Mm. Right. So it was right. this weird play on on myself like it was it was wild the the, the mm -hmm. whole uh metamorphosis that was occurring in school because while i'm so fascinated with every condition and you know we go through everything we, we don't just do the back like a lot of people think we i mean the first year and a half mimics regular medical school in terms of curriculum mm -hmm. so we're learning every possible disease i mean if you go to a chiropractor, I hope that they know what to rule out. You know what I mean? That's right. the big, bad, ugly. So so while I'm in school, I'm developing low blood pressure, super high resting heart rate, even though I'm very healthy. Um, I would get weird rashes, like kind of hives of a sort and mm. um, tingling in the hands and feet unbearable anxiety. I mean, I wasn't sleeping at night. My skin mm. was burning. My brain was going insane. Um, my pupil would start to dilate. So I was extremely wow. sensitive to light. So you can imagine yeah. studying for 10 hours a day and having that was not fun. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I just went on this new journey of health-related problems. And funny enough, I went to probably one, two, three, probably a good five or six different medical specialists, medical mm-hmm. doctors of different specialties, um, obviously ER visits, chiropractors of different specialties, um, academics that I was working with in school that are not mm-hmm. practicing clinicians, but they're on an academic standpoint. So okay. name it. I had a team of people trying to figure out what the heck was going on and nobody could pinpoint. And then full circle, I ended up going to a chiropractor that specializes in internal medicine last year. So I didn't know what was happening well Mm. all through school. Last year, um, we did extensive blood work, like like beyond what a normal blood panel would be Mm -hmm. and some other tests that only really what I would say functional medicine practitioners would run. Mm -hmm. And we found out that I have either developed a new autoimmune condition that they're grouping in the family of lupus. Um, We don't know if it's similar to what I had when I was 10 years old Mm. or if it's something that has developed from that experience over time because it's common that when you have an autoimmune condition that goes unmanaged for a while, you'll develop another one. Mm. So, so I... Currently have been doing really extensive treatment that's uh, more supplements, uh, dietary changes, a lot of the mental work, and Mm. I feel like a new person and Mm. I have not taken meds. I haven't haven't done anything that uh, isn't really like natural based, not because I'm against it, but really because I had so much going on that was off in my body that not one medicine would really help that. It was like, Mm. it was just deficiencies that I have built up and enzymes that I didn't have anymore, you know, stuff like that, that I had to kind of rebuild. So Mm. yes, it's, it's (laughs) doing a lot better, but it's definitely built a whole new sympathy for patience of mine. And, and I know Mm. from my own journey and my own research, I know what to look for with someone. You know, if you come to me with headache, I never, ever just think headache. I'm thinking like, I I go into a list of things that I rule out or rule in. And I, that's why we dig so deep into the Mm. history of someone because it it is important, you know? Yeah. So certainly, I mean, yeah. first off, I'm, I'm glad that you're you're feeling better. Or at oh, least thank you. <laughs> able to manage things uh, in, in a more reasonable way. I, yeah. I, I certainly can relate on some levels. I've had my own, I guess, journey with my health as, as everyone does mm-hmm. to some extent on, on various fronts and, and even particularly this past year. Um, it's also just been something I've, I've always been, I guess, someone that you would consider rather health conscious. Right. I, I grew up, my mom was a a personal trainer. She was kind of in that like first wave of aerobics instructors, like in the eighties and all that. Nice. that um, awesome. So I grew up in, in that kind of a household, an athletic household and was always really active, interested in that front. And I was a personal trainer for a while. Um, even thought about going to PT school for a while. Mm-hmm. And 
like I said, I've had my own ups and downs on the health front. So it's, it's always been something that I've, I've been super, I guess, maybe not, I guess, compared to you, but (laughs) compared to the average person, very tapped into, Mm -hmm. to that space and very interested and very often meticulous about where I push and pull in my, in my life to, to try to manage different issues. And I'm in, uh, I guess in physical therapy for, for multiple things <laughs> currently. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I certainly can, can relate to, to having to do a lot of experimentation and just being super diligent to, to manage certain chronic conditions specifically. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious because it's something I, I sometimes think about myself and I know some other people that, that have had some similar experiences or that are just very tapped into this space. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, especially as someone who's like had such a long and, and arduous journey with it, do you ever, do you ever find it difficult not to, or do you ever find it difficult to still kind of, I guess, enjoy your life and not be too tapped in or, or too obsessive about your health Especially because you're constantly in that environment and and trying to to manage your own conditions yourself. Yeah, I think um, this is kind of going back to the beginning of the episode where I was talking about 2020 actually being like this positive year for me personally, not on like a worldly Mm -hmm. level, but because it was so obsessive for me and a negative state for so long for the last few years in particular because I didn't know what was wrong. Mm -hmm. So nothing I did, I could correlate to feeling better. And that was Mm -hmm. so hard for me because I'm such a high functioning person. And I had these goals that I wanted to achieve with like being in school for so long. And now I'm starting my career journey. And I felt like I was running on fumes and also didn't know what was going on. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, how can I be a doctor especially a holistic doctor, treating active athlete people. And I also don't feel good. And it just, it wasn't connecting in my brain. Mm -hmm. So it would cause me so much discomfort regularly, especially in the mental part of it, of just, you know, I didn't know if I could or could not eat something. I didn't know if I would wake up tomorrow and feel good or not. Like I just couldn't Mm -hmm. predict it. And I couldn't necessarily do anything either that would like offset if I didn't feel well, you know, cause mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going on. But last year when I finally got answers and I applied everything that I was doing and was seeing results and like feeling better, mm-hmm. I realized, um, I had realized, and this goes into the identity thing, how much I was identifying with this health issue I had had for so Mm -hmm. long. And when I started feeling better, I noticed that I was still obsessive about it in the sense of like, I couldn't necessarily enjoy certain things or I would put that on other people like my boyfriend or friends or some, you know, someone around me that Mm -hmm. maybe didn't go through the same thing. And that's why I had to make a choice and take the responsibility of digging deep into the, that like emotional side of it. Like it's, it's almost like dealing with a PTSD. That's kind of how I would relate Mm -hmm. it with people that go through health issues. And it doesn't even have to be intense health issues. It could be an athlete with an injury. If their whole world is running track and Mm -hmm. 
they're still running track in college and they've got prospects for pro and then they, you know, strain the crap out of their hamstring. That's all, even though it's a hamstring strain and an outsider would look at that as like not a big deal. You're still living. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's like Mm. how we were talking about before people will constantly use the whole, it could always be worse. Um, but that's their, their identity and that's the way their brain is, is functioning. Right. Mm -hmm. So now, now you're developing this like whole mental disorder almost of like a post-traumatic issue. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I had to kind of unravel was how do I no longer identify with this health problem and view it more of like a, um, just a journey that I've been on and not Mm -hmm. like it's me. I'm not like stuck with it, but Mm -hmm. I can use it and apply it to my goals of what I do for a living. And that's exactly what I've been doing recently is I'm actually specializing in internal medicine as a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed since last June, which is when I was diagnosed, um, that I've manifested and I've attracted these really complicated patients that like have (laughs) extensive health histories and Mm. they come into us with like your normal chiropractic musculoskeletal complaint. But then Mm. we unravel and we unload this wild history of like immune issues and undiagnosed gut related problems and, you know, these female athletes that are in high school aren't healing fast enough and then we start to realize it has nothing to do with their injury it's like you know mm. so i i apply right. all this stuff that i've learned for myself and i'm able to outwardly purposely put it into something else that's not me mm-hmm. and that's helped me a lot become less obsessive about it in a negative way and i can right. turn it on and off now you know, if I'm home mm-hmm. and I'm trying to disassociate and just like relax and meditate or do whatever it is that I need to do, I don't, I no longer have that like voice in the back of my mind that used to really bother me with like the obsessive health concerns or, you mm-hmm. know, like I don't eat gluten and I can't eat eggs, but I don't push that on other people. I just simply educate or I explain it in my journey, but it doesn't bother me anymore you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. it's not this this thing that's like a cloud it's just a part it's just a statement you know like a part of me yeah so Mm -hmm. that's how I've become less obsessive but for a while it was it was rough it would definitely consume most of my day Mm -hmm. um and then trickle into my relationships and and stuff like that so that's definitely improved tremendously in the last like 365 days Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean that i'm sure it sounds like you certainly had a lot to manage i mean i think it's great that you've been able to kind of come to a better place with Mm -hmm. it and also channel that into what you're doing to to help people dealing with with similar situations yeah um coincidentally i was i was going to mention i have a, a chronic hamstring issue presently. Really? So when you mentioned the, the hamstring strain, <laughs> I was like, no, that's, that's devastating. Um, those yeah. things don't heal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I always, this is my biggest thing that I, I feel strongly about because of my health journey 
mm-hmm. it goes into anything. It doesn't even have to be like what we are quote unquote putting into health, right? But there's always an answer, right? Like mm-hmm. I've I'm obviously a huge science person. Um and just the interactions of cells and atoms and just like the basic levels of life. And a lot of people will tell me, oh, we'll just never know the reason or, oh, we don't know the cause. Mm -hmm. And that even goes into like the mental aspect, right? Like cause is greater than effect. And, Mm -hmm. and people forget that you got to this point for a reason. So for you, like with the hamstring issue, like if you keep treating the hamstring and it's not getting better, it's not the hamstring, but that doesn't mean there's not an answer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you apply that into every part of that mental, physical, internal triangle that I mentioned before, it literally applies to everything. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're anxious and you can't get through it, thinking it's just a mental anxiety there it's pro it might not be it might be mm-hmm. you're deficient in a vitamin that's super important for the brain to function mm-hmm. and so you're sitting there trying to mentally work through this and it's not working and then you just dig a little bit deeper and you right. realize it's actually a chemical imbalance but from something you can do you know mm-hmm. it's it, there's it's just opened my mind a lot to more of a logical way of thinking because I usually am a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. Um, I never tapped into that left side brain, but now <laughs> I am. So, right. yeah, but there's always there's always an answer. Someone got mm-hmm. to this point from something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's like well, my it, message, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, it, it sounds like we maybe need to have a, a, a separate conversation. Right. Uh, off air that that no one's probably interested in but um, (laughs) (laughs) you'd be surprised actually yeah i mean maybe so but i trust me it's a it's a long fucking story yeah Um, that'll be our next episode yeah yeah sure oh my gosh i'll give a tell all um but yeah now one thing i've actually been thinking about recently especially in 2020 i guess it's 2021 now but Mm -hmm. Just given the fact that, and obviously it's been a, a particularly challenging and, and just unprecedented year in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. that just looking at kind of the contrast between the just the biomedical biotechnology field in general and mm-hmm. these amazing things that we're continuing to see happen on the front of modern medicine, even with let's just even say the the vaccine, how fast we're able to make something like that. Um, or even the other day, it was, they cloned a ferret, you know? Not right. that that's oh, like yeah. <laughs> a huge deal, but like to me, it kind of is. That's, that's no, a super it is, exciting it is. thing. Yeah. And the fact that we've, you know, been cloning shit since, since the 90s is yep. insane. The fact that we can do that and then we can't solve some of these other problems. But Clearly, we're advancing in, in so many ways that are that are promising and incredible, and we can grow organs. We can, we can do all these amazing things. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, especially from the perspective of someone who who deals with patients on a day to day basis, do you feel like people are actually in less pain or suffering less? So, hmm. like I on think, average, I guess. Yeah, um, I think from a so, yeah, that's it's tough. So from a 
chronic standpoint, um, in terms of physical pain, I think we're suffering less. And what I mean by that is like, if you go back thousands of years ago to like primitive days of humans, Mm -hmm. you know, they're dealing with heavy traumas, you know, getting attacked by wild animals and starvation and just trying to live. Right. But, but nowadays I feel like there's so many factors that we're consuming both visually and auditory, right. With social media and, just the resource of technology, like you're saying with, Mm -hmm. you know, how fast we've come forward with computers and TVs and phones and the exposure. Um, and then on top of that, the, the research and the technology that we have with food now, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's still people starving in the world, but in a global sense, it's obviously we do have more resource for food when it comes to like worldwide, just the Mm -hmm. abundance of like producing food um but i think what people are forgetting is really what suffering means and i think if you just take the word suffering i think we're actually worse Mm -hmm. i think that people are dealing with with such imbalances in their bodies and their minds um Mm -hmm. at at an all-time high now and we're seeing that the rate of of suicides and drug abuse and things that people are trying to cope with are are really high right now. Mm-hmm. And obviously the pandemic did not help that because now you're isolating the people that already felt off. Um, right. But I think that, that that low grade chronic suffering, whether that means someone has chronic pain, whether that means it's physical pain or mental pain, um, mm. I actually think it's worse. And I think that a lot of that has to do with not that we don't have the technology to fix people, mm-hmm. you know, like we have an all-time ability to diagnose nowadays. We have an all-time ability to interact with someone. You know, I'm on a call with you right now and you're states away from me. Mm-hmm. I think it's the application of it that is right. off. I think that um, for me, obviously in the healthcare world, what I noticed is we've got all these wonderful tools, but yet most of the complaints I get is that people only spend five minutes with their doctor and they mm. don't listen to anything that they say. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, well, let's say that person is suffering in whatever sense. Mm-hmm. How in the world do you make them not suffer if you've only spent five minutes with them right. and you don't even know where the suffering's coming from? So I just feel that technology is wonderful and we've been able to, um, you know, prolong lifespans and do all these great right. things. But at the same time, we're not really applying it how it should be applied. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's just how I feel. Like I'm so for the modern medicine route. I think drugs are necessary and I've seen where they're necessary and I think Mm -hmm. surgeries are necessary. And I think that certain technologies with like, you know, modifying foods and doing all these things are, are necessary, but they're being horribly controlled and Mm -hmm. just not applied correctly. And people aren't being held accountable for it, both on the patient level and the person 
you know, giving the technology. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting perspective because as you spoke to on, I guess on the one hand, there's, there's obviously so many ways in which life is better right? and, and individuals, let's just say uh, infectious disease mm-hmm. or infant mortality rates, global hunger. There's lots of things you can go down the line that are, that are very meaningful that we've taken such incredible strides on in the past mm-hmm. century or even past few decades in the developing world. But at the same time, there's this competing data set we look at, I guess, more chronic or psychological suffering, the suicide rates, the drug overdose, the opioid pandemic, uh, you know, all these other things that we're seeing. Uh, I saw recently that it was something like 30% of, of Americans mm-hmm. suffer from some sort of chronic or severe pain, which yep. is is pretty significant and it's i i wouldn't be surprised if the number was actually higher yeah you know i think there's probably maybe some reporting bias there but it's i feel like most people that i know have have some sort of chronic issue that they're dealing with or, or struggling to deal with and it's it's sometimes hard to feel like we're progressing when that's the case it, it's hard to feel like if people are having more and more mental health issues, if people are having more and more just day to day, the sort of suffering that I guess maybe ties into that and, and affects the way that people think about themselves and how they interact with others and, and how they operate in the world. But sure, it, it's hard to sit there and compare it to like, I don't know, having malaria, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's different and we've obviously made great strides in in the past decade in regards to malaria, but it's, it's just kind of a different sort of suffering that in a way you could argue is worse. I'm not saying that that's in any way objective Mm -hmm. because it's, it's just, it's kind of apples to oranges. But when you have people taking their own lives at alarming rates, people are deciding that it's not worth being alive anymore. That's pretty serious. Yeah. That's that's hard to to bat an eye at and just say like ah that's that's just kind of the cost of doing business mm-hmm. of progressing or of modernity you know yeah I I feel like from a science perspective humans have done awesome things with like that acute reaction right like um, your health is you're you're trying to keep you alive we're good at that right? Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can keep someone alive in a standpoint. Obviously there's traumas and accidents that happen and that's not for everyone. But what I'm saying is like in general, if you look at history, mm-hmm. like if you compare the pandemics to other pandemics or you compare just like what I was saying before, the, the acute traumatic injuries we have now compared to like when humans first began, you know, we can keep people mm-hmm. alive a lot more efficiently now. Right. Um, but somewhere in the mix of when science began and now mm-hmm. we've we've kept this textbook way of approaching the world um mm-hmm. and it worked for a little while because we were still learning so much of the basics when it came to human beings right. that i mean 
gosh, back not even that long ago, I think it was back in like the 40s and the 50s, they were using the electrodes for brain therapy and like shocking people for like mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy, right? And right. I just feel like you look at that now and you're like, that's barbaric, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred years ago or even longer than that when the Black Plague was around or all these other different really, really bad you know, viral or bacterial or fungal pandemics occurred, they would do things like bloodletting. They would literally Mm -hmm. nick into humans and like use some sort of suction and like believe, oh, if I take out part of, you know, your blood supply, we'll just get, you know, whatever it is that's infecting you out. And we look at that now, we're like, what the heck were we (laughs) thinking? But, But if you look at it now, we kind of are doing the same thing just in a more technological standpoint, right? Like Mm -hmm. we just came out with the new mRNA technology-based vaccine, which is really awesome and fascinating. And I think that the theory behind it is great, Mm -hmm. but the part of it is, is that it's still an experiment and everybody is still individualized and your genetics are not the identical same as mine and your Mm -hmm. health and the way that your body interacts is not the same as mine. So I think it's still hard that we're applying the same textbook mentality of, of healing without realizing the individuality of people. And I think that's where that low grade chronic suffering comes into play is that Mm -hmm. you go to the doctor for a, generalized, you know, achy joint pain and they're going to look at you and they're going to treat you like they did the other 10 people that came through their door for the Mm -hmm. same similar symptom. And they're going to give you a medication to reduce your pain. And then, and then five years goes down the road and now you're a middle-aged mom addicted to opioids because you -hmm. never really found the cause of your pain and you're just trying to manage your day-to-day life. Right. Right. So it's just, I know it's not easy. Like what I'm saying is easier said than done on a scale Mm -hmm. of like everybody's health. And then you got to take into account insurance companies and big pharma and governments. And I mean, there's so much that goes into it that really makes it shouldn't be that difficult, but unfortunately money always does make it difficult. And I really feel like that's, the basis of like the current suffering is just that people are just viewed as this like herd. They're mm-hmm. not viewed so individual and we don't really have herd traumas anymore. We don't have like that acute trauma issue where, um, you know, 10 village people are attacked by a lion. You've got mm-hmm. 10 people with a weird chronic autoimmune disease that neither one is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's interesting. I think there's still a lot to be done, and I actually see a huge switch of people going from that modern medicine approach and coming to other avenues right now because of that. They're just kind of tired of being treated the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really blame the doctors per se because I I'm very compassionate. I think you're taught a certain way and that's what your brain holds on to. Um, I, a lot of my really good friends are all MDs and I think they're brilliant and that they, they're 
helping a lot of people. But I do think that as a general consensus that something has to change because just Mm -hmm. giving everyone a vaccine for a year and a half long pandemic that completely turned everybody upside down is I think there's just going to be a lot of prolonged repercussions on so many levels that are going to be unmanaged, you know, like mismanaged. And I'm hoping Mm -hmm. to be on the forefront to kind of help connect dots for people health-wise and mentality-wise and just like get a bigger outreach because I think that's the only way that we can kind of put a stop to the like chronic suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up an interesting point. I guess, A, that there's so much that goes on in the dark, yeah. if you will, in in the medical space that there's there's so much interplay between insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, weird incentive structures. And oh, yeah. I, I can't speak for, with any insider information, but as I said, I, I used to work for a startup that that was trying to make some changes in this space. So it was something that I was pretty tapped into for a time. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also, I guess, B would be that it's it's one of those problems that comes to light that I feel like maybe isn't often discussed so much when you think about, I guess, even just broadly democratizing healthcare, where it right. seems like, a net positive thing in general. And I think more and more people support that in a lot of ways we've already done it, but at the same time, you're trying to administer a certain level of care to hundreds of millions of people. And when you try to standardize that, when you try to figure out a way to distribute that to so many fucking people, you run into all of these barriers where if you're trying to, get this this baseline standard to everyone you kind of have to cut corners or overlook certain things because it's just not practical to do it in a standardized a fully standardized and democratized fair way without doing that and without and it's it's just a tough problem because it's not like we want to sit here and say that we shouldn't strive for something on that front but in theory, the more you democratize, the more the quality goes down. Right. And, and that's something th- people that, don't realize. Yeah. And it's it, it's an unfortunate externality there. And of course, people who have money, in theory, can always find better care, right? You can always, yep. if you have that sort of freedom, you can always, you can shop around, you can pull some strings. But for the average person, that's just not really the case. And you kind of just get what you get mm-hmm. and it's also difficult to to step outside of that because in a lot of the if you want to take the alternative route a lot of times that the insurance isn't really an option on that front yeah and and so it's it's difficult that like it, there's certain barriers to entry there for people who just like if you're on Medicaid or whatever, you know, it's just not an option for you. If you're someone who's in that socioeconomic bracket, you're you're kind of shackled and, and you kind of just have to take whatever standard is is given to you to some extent. I mean, sure, there's there's always options and obviously people try to sometimes take matters into their own hands, but it's just 
because of all these you know complex variables it's it's a space where there's there's a lot there's a lot that's going right but there's also there's not a clear way to to get to a point where everyone could have access to a more holistic version of healthcare unless you restructured everything up from the bottom and that seems i mean that's years that seems, of work <laughs> right that's that's a generation at, yeah. at best i feel like you know but obviously it's not to say that we shouldn't try by any means i'm not trying to say it's impossible or that to discourage anyone from from making progress on that front because i think it's essential as you said something has to change yep but there's just a lot of a lot of weird push and pull there that makes it very difficult to to make sure that that access is there and quality is also there and time as you mentioned is there mm-hmm. um there's just so many hard things to balance yeah it's yeah like i said it's definitely easier said than done but um something that i'm really passionate about is like integrative practices so Something that we're starting here in South Florida is um, essentially a a one-stop shop, right? That's the idea is that you've got a place where multiple specialties of healthcare providers are in a singular place. And Mm -hmm. um, at that point, what it does is it eliminates the runaround. It eliminates the uh, unnecessary spending that it takes to go to multiple practices and offices and whatever that doctor feels you need and then you don't need it and you need the next one, you know, mm-hmm. it eliminates all of that and also allows this break in in animosity that's been created between different healthcare specialties. Like the reason why chiropractors and and some of the other more hands-on practitioners have such a fight all the time is Mm -hmm. because the American Medical Association and the American Chiropractic Association, in a political sense, they constantly are arguing and lobbying against Mm. each other of who gets what scope and this state is different than that state. And then it just becomes this like what I imagine a bunch of old white men in a room deciding what other people Mm. get for healthcare. And it really bothers me. But I know that it's already changing because just the student population in schools nowadays obviously are way more diverse and the -hmm. generation that we're in is more aware in general, I think. Um, We've just had different ways of growing up than like our parents did and grandparents. So Mm -hmm. I already know and I'm pretty confident in the fact that like healthcare in general is going to change regardless. I mean, it's just a fact mm-hmm. because of just the way that we think on a scale of like our whole generation. Yeah. Um and then we've got people like us trying to create not so much like a separation, we're trying to create an integration, right? Like I want mm-hmm. people to see certain medical doctors like that's so important to me and it's mm-hmm. necessary and they know things that I don't know and vice versa and I just feel like if a patient that is oblivious to all things health and they're desperate and they're fearful, they can walk into one door and now you've got a slew of different 
experts is the idea, right? That Mm -hmm. can provide what they best need. So it's almost like the idea is kind of like how a hospital is set up, but not letting business people run it, letting Mm -hmm. healthcare people run it, right? Gotcha. You need business mindset to make sure that it's a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. But I think that what happens often is these big healthcare companies, they've got these people come in at the top and they're very money and financial oriented and they don't necessarily have this like healthcare background that sympathizes with the patients coming through the door. Mm-hmm. And while they might be great at making money and making sure the company stays afloat, what happens is it trickles all the way down to the person that's interacting with the patient and you lose the whole goal in the first place. So I think that if we can change just that part of it, you'll see a mm-hmm. big, big change in resource to like anybody, regardless of their socioeconomic standpoint. Mm-hmm. But if I can even start that just in an area of like South Florida alone, I know mm-hmm. that in the future, even if I'm not alive, it'll hopefully continue to keep mm-hmm. going. Cause all I'm seeing the pandemic proved to me is the healthcare system is actually failing. Mm-hmm. That's what I yeah. saw <laughs> for my eyes, for my eyes. And it, uh, yeah, I mean, they saved my life. So I have no reason to be against like modern medicine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when I was 10. So it's not like a chiropractic against medical. It's, it's purely like a, something has to change because the past year has shown such a disconnect that if we don't mm-hmm. strive together, then it's going to be rough for a little while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this past year certainly has exposed a lot. And mm-hmm. I think there were a lot of things that maybe in a bubble or under a microscope, we could say, okay, maybe this needs some some reform or this needs to be addressed. But when you put that kind of stress on any system, all of its inadequacies are going to become oh, yeah. really clear really quickly. And we obviously saw that with a lot of our public health institutions, our even essentially all of our institutions on some level certainly failed. And yeah. there's it's hard to know where to start in regards to to what to change and what to reform and, and how we can better prepare for the next time something like this happens, because of course it will eventually. Um, and in a way, of course, things could have been way worse right this could have been a much worse pandemic and so hopefully a silver lining from all of this is that this is somewhat of a dress rehearsal not to be reductive but that we'll be able to learn from it in in important ways and that things will change at least on a in, in somewhat of an institutional front so that next time something like this or even maybe not so much like it and exactly what it is, but just a, a global situation in which it's clear that everyone, regardless of their nationality or their background or whatever, needs to be able to to come together and have conversations about so that we can address it. Because of course, if a situation of global scale has to have global cooperation and and global solutions and we can't really just hunker down as 
as individual countries or even individual states here in the U.S. and feel like we can necessarily just figure that out on our own, even though that right. is a part of what makes us the the country that we are. Um, so it's it's definitely a tall task, and and I it, it is a little bit overwhelming to think about and to try to figure out what it what it would really look like. But to to your point, I think it's it's exciting to hear about things like that. And I, I think I've heard of a few kind of, I guess, similar, I guess, you might say cooperative spaces mm-hmm. in smaller, smaller towns in my area, but it's, it's definitely not a common thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, it's becoming a little bit more so. And into that point, uh, they seem to be more so community oriented and trying to, uh, and even potentially have sliding scales and things of that nature to make it mm-hmm. more accessible to to different demographics, which I think is is certainly a good step in the right direction. Because at the end of the day, those are the people that need it the most. You know, the right. people who who don't have the money to be to be spending on better food, or right. people who are dealing with the most stress, people who are dealing with probably the most severe chronic conditions and and getting the worst care in the traditional sense are the ones that have the most to gain from, from getting this more holistic perspective. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, all of it, all of it, the politics, the healthcare, the just day to day, like issues going on. It's just, it's all teamwork is really what I feel like is the only solution. And we're at the end of the day, scientifically, we are just animals, right? And mm-hmm. the main purpose for us is just to reproduce and survive. And I think humans forget that little simplicity part of what we mm-hmm. are. Um, sometimes that uh, statement alone brings me peace if I feel like anxious or there's so much in the world going on, you know, that's mm-hmm. like bombarding you is why why we're here in the first place and how we relate to just like things out in nature and Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna keep moving forward regardless right like generation after generation but just to solve some of these issues it's just communication is a dance and you have to have everyone participating at the same mm-hmm. rhythm you know and until that happens we'll always have a little bit of issue going on but I think that especially in the world that I'm in, mostly the healthcare world, is if if we can band together to an extent to provide the best possible treatment or at least resource for people, um, I think that can really glue together some of these like open areas in healthcare that are creating some of the problem in communication. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how it plays out because I'm just right. one piece in this whole game. So mm. yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not to, I don't even think it's necessarily pessimistic, but I think we're, we're definitely in a space where we're, we're having to deal with a lot of necessary evils and yeah. we're doing the thing that we do really well here in the States, which is uh, move fast and break things yep. as they say in the Valley, yep. you know, um, <laughs> And there's there's a lot to be said about that, right? It, it, there's there's a lot of positivity that can come from that, a lot of innovation, a lot of incredible achievement 
Um, but of course the, the latter half is to break things and, right. um, we're, we're having to do that, uh, in, in a pretty extreme way right now to try to deal with something that we would have had to put so much work in on the front end. So many other things would have needed to have been in place. Structure would have had to been so different to handle it, how we could have in an ideal world that we're kind of, you know, we're working from just not the best place from an infrastructure perspective. And as I spoke to, hopefully that is something that we can, in the time between now and, and whenever we have a, a global situation of, of any nature or some sort of real public health crisis, again, you could argue that there's just an ongoing one period, regardless of, of 2020, right? You know, you could, there's at fronts we've already talked about the opioid crisis and, and mental health crisis and, you could even call a chronic pain crisis. These are these yeah. are things that we we need to get a handle on and that aren't going anywhere. And so it's hopefully maybe this whole situation will put a little bit of a spotlight on these institutions and mm -hmm. the the ways in which we tend to operate and say, okay, we got we got through this, we got through this one, we did what we needed to, but next time it's not gonna fly. Um, right, and, but obviously easier said than done. So yeah. we'll see, but I guess I'm you more than I are hopefully making a, or at least doing your part on that front to, to try to bring people together a little bit more and offer some, some alternatives and, and just a bit of a different perspective for people. Yeah. I just, my ultimate goal is on an individual level for people and then obviously that goes into a global level if more people you know feel the same way is just not so much that whole phrase of like giving hope but that in my mind these things that come up they're not just like like you just said they're not temporary like i see people in pain and having issues every day so in my brain it's it's just life mm -hmm. like just you get the curveballs every day. It's not like you get a curveball every 10 years, right? And mm. you can either let that make or break you. And I realize that a lot of people are just always breaking because they were never given the resource to handle it or, um, you know, they just get into their own head and they just have all these traumas from the past and they don't seem to get, you know, a breakthrough moment or some person to help them or education on something, whatever it is. Like, I just feel like if you treat these things as an ongoing process, but in a sense that, okay, you're no longer surprised if another pandemic hits, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You're almost like building this plan per se, of how to handle certain things without realizing it. It's mm -hmm. just this ongoing thing where human, where human bodies were built from cells and bacteria and all these things. There's like this ongoing, unspoken, living uh, like ecosystem always occurring in, inside mm -hmm. of us and outside of us. And um, it's just a matter of are you – even putting effort into just like allowing yourself to be strong enough to handle that, that change, mm -hmm. that constant natural change all the time. And then right. when things like a pandemic hit, 
you're kind of already equipped mentally and physically on like what that means. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you're resilient and you can handle, you know, everything that hits you, but it just means that maybe you handle it slightly better than you did before right? because you're, you're not expecting it to happen in a sense of like you're manifesting it, but you just, it doesn't surprise you at that point because it's just kind of the the laws of nature, you know, Mm -hmm. it's more of a logical way of thinking about it. That's kind of how I viewed it as COVID. There's other strains. It's been around for a really long time. And mm-hmm. there's other viruses and other bacteria that have been around for a really long time. And humans have always prevailed. And viruses do get stronger. And our health, like our foods are getting worse in nutrient density. And people have chronic pain or mental disorders. And it's just like these things are They've always been there if you look at history. They've mm. always been there. It's just a matter of like your ability to step out of it for a second and just look at it for what it is and then go back in almost. That's how mm. I view it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly, if you can, it is helpful to be able to have that pullback. And, and, right. And to jump back to something you said previously, or at least hinted at. Mm-hmm that that resonated with me i do often tend to kind of turn to to evolutionary biology to Mm -hmm. that i guess in a similar way it does give me some some sense of of peace or acceptance to some extent about in regards to what we are and and why we do what we do Mm -hmm. and just what the the base incentives are of, of our existence and of course there's a lot beyond that but having that pullback to say like everything about us is here for a reason right like right. we we are these evolved beings just like anything else and we 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 would like our genes to to pass on we would like the species to continue right and generally most of you could argue all of what we do goes back to that in in some way or another no matter how what degree of abstraction you push it to. So being able to at times just jump back and say, what's what's really at play here? What is what is the benefit of this? Why is this happening? Is there is there really a purpose here? Is there a reason? Is there an advantage? Is there an evolutionary process that that explains why we're here and and maybe how we can approach this moving forward that would satisfy that that base level incentive that is within all of us Mm -hmm. while still creating the sort of society and culture that we want that that looks out for for one another and that brings people up instead of it being a a purely competitive landscape right um there's always that that tension but i think to some degree that is what often gets missed in the evolutionary space is that people assume that even just misconceptions about the idea of like what and let's just say an alpha male is right. People tend to think that if you look at other apes, that the, the alpha male in a group is just the one that is physically dominant and is the one that just can kill off the other males. But that's not really the case in intelligent mammals. It's, it's the one that can socialize and that can win other people over in the troop 
And because two is always better than one, even if you're the strongest by 5%, if there's two other people who are who are only 5% less strong than you, they're going to kill you. Right. So being able to work together, and that's, that's a very crude example, but being able to work together, being able to socialize, being able to get on the same page with one another and living in a collaborative way is is actually to our benefit and it it sometimes seems or feels like it's just like kill or be killed or just push everyone else out of your way and and only look out for yourself is like some people's understanding of what our our uh our nature is in a, in a competitive darwinian sense but it's it's really not the case that it seems like at this point in our evolution, in our modernity, that the only way, as we've spoken to, for the species to continue on is to do it together because we're right. facing these, because the world is so connected now. Sure, if we were just living in different, you know, totally separate and isolated tribes in different parts of the planet, that could be fine, right? But we, we have nuclear weapons now. Right. We have we could annihilate ourselves at any time with ease in, in so many different ways. So the world is so connected and we the it's it's genies out of the bottle. So in yeah. order to really solve any of our problems or continue forward, we we have to kind of look at others as part of our tribe and whether they're our neighbors or they're in a different city or a different state, a different country, they're across the globe. We have to kind of start getting to a point where we can, we can make that next step from, from tribalism to nationalism to some form of global humanism, if you will, that we can actually see people across the world who we know nothing about, who don't look like us and say, these are my brothers and sisters we we have to work together to to accomplish this end which is even if it's selfish at base like i just want my children's children's children to exist i just want my genes to pass on but in order for there to be a world for them to live in uh we we've got to work together right yeah that's that's pretty much the basis of like everything that i do especially if i feel like i'm in a time of stressor angst I just kind of go back to the basics um and that's what's helped me pull through a lot of the stuff of my life is just always bringing it back down to where it's explainable and then I'm like oh duh I don't have any (laughs) other reason to stress now because a lot of it's out of my control and the things I do control are are simple you know who do Mm. I interact with on a daily and how can I improve that interaction or share something or learn from them you know and then hopefully that just spreads like wildfire that's Mm -hmm. just kind of what I try to do every time I'm out into the world Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean you got to start small you Mm got to start with yourself right Uh, exactly (laughs) obviously there's there's a desire to to look at the bigger issues, to look at the bigger picture and, and to want to do something about it. But of course it's, you know, it's, it's conventional wisdom, but to be able to, to turn inward and, and actually reflect what you want to see in the world and yourself, no one's going to take you seriously. Right? Right. Like you, we could sit here all day and talk about what could be better about the world. 
But if we're not living in accord with the values that we claim to suggest are ideal, people are just going to laugh at us and, yeah. and move on. You know, it's just yep. like, well, what do you know? You're not living that way. So, you, of course, anyone can speculate. But when you see someone truly living in, in accord with their their principles and I guess for lack of a better expression, practicing what they preach, that is actually meaningful. You know, it's, and I guess to relate back to your space, it's definitely one of those things that there's this weird kind of dissonance when you, you see like a doctor that's clearly not taking care of themselves, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, should I, should I really, you know, is what's going on there? Uh, It's, it's, you you just don't quite take them as seriously or there's right. there's some sort of doubt and obviously everyone's situation is is unique and you never really know what someone's health is like but at the same time it's sometimes you feel like there's a little hypocrisy there yeah oh yeah i see that all the time i even do it like to to doctors that i go to and mm. i try to be compassionate but sometimes it's hard i'm not going to lie <laughs> right yeah, I mean that at base I think that compassionate impulse is the right one. Right. But it's at the so same hard. time it's my point more so being it affects perception and if you want to make mm-hmm. change in the world that's all that matters. Yep. Uh not for your own individual well-being, but if you're trying to impact others in the way that they think it it does matter. It right. does matter what you bring to the world and it's it's always more impactful to see someone living out what what they really say right is best and and seeing them actually live a, a fulfilling and and progressive and enjoyable life and being like okay i i would like that for myself what do you have to offer right as opposed to someone saying i have all this knowledge but i don't necessarily have wisdom right in in that sense that it's in a way, kind of this Eastern, Western philosophical tension of with the West being so knowledge-based, and I guess this goes all the way back to mm-hmm. Socrates and, and all that, but that our, our society is very knowledge-based and it's in a lot of ways so successful because of that, because we've been able to harness knowledge to incredible ends, but at the same time, we've lost touch with the tradition of wisdom that is that is all about the implementation it's all about the practice it's it's useless you know some sort of just the hypocrisy of like a, a philosopher or a, a great writer or thinker who hates their life or who <laughs> suffers all the time or is this kind of unsatisfied cynical asshole who is right. brilliant you know we have a lot of that in the west where in the East, and this is obviously I'm painting very broad strokes, but it's more that it's it's only about the practice and you might not even have to say a whole lot about what you're doing. It's just living it and and that the only real value is is if you can implement it into your life as opposed to just knowing things. Yeah. No, I mean that's I think that's why I've been able to have such a great rapid turnaround after I got out of school and my what you consider successful for like my career 
not so much like from a monetary standpoint, but just um, building rapport and relationships. I've, you know, becoming a mentor for people coming out of school or just starting school or patients and stuff like that. I had this moment of I'm too young. Like I don't have the experience yet to Mm. have such an empowering impact on certain people, you know, like half the time people ask me if I'm 18 years old and I'm like, I just did your whole exam and diagnosed you. Like that would be insanity if I was 18, but thank you. But, um, Mm. but I realized it's actually a huge compliment, but it it goes back to exactly what you were saying is that I've lived so much of what I do as a job, Mm. like in terms of the opposite perspective as a patient. Um, and it's always been more of a curiosity than anything. Like anytime I had an issue, I would constantly try to figure out why. Um, mm-hmm. Even athletic injuries and stuff like that growing up. So I've just been able to be relatable, even if I don't act like it on purpose. You know, it just comes mm-hmm. from such a genuine experience-based place that sometimes I'll I'll miss – or lose the words in a knowledge-based sense, like the scientific perspective, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever it is that I'm treating something, someone for, but because I've felt it so deeply or I've experienced it or something with that tie, it's so natural right? that I don't need the words from a book, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And so it's exactly what you're saying is just something I've been aware of is definitely my calling for mm-hmm. sure. Like this is something that comes very natural, but I still work hard, but it's, yeah, it just, it feels right on a lot of levels because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. wonderful. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely happy for you in that sense. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, on, on a somewhat final note, uh, yes. I did want to ask you one more thing before we, we wrap things up and that's, just generally speaking, if if there was one piece of research in the mm-hmm. I guess on the health landscape that you could point people towards just to kind of raise the general public awareness of something that you feel like maybe gets lost sometimes or that people maybe aren't aware of. Is there anything that comes to mind? Mm. There's a lot of things, but I'll start with I think f- from things I've seen from treating patients, from myself, from friends of mine in the fields and all of that. Biggest thing on a health standpoint is just look at what you're putting into your body. Like just so general. I mean, there's not one singular piece of like research or journal or medical article or anything that I would recommend, Mm -hmm. but just understanding that health the internal health, the pain that you're feeling, the injuries that you sustain, the the anxiety that you feel, um, the sleep issues that you have, like anything that you can imagine under the sun. If you don't know what you're putting in your body, food-wise, supplement-wise, medication-wise, either ask questions to someone you know that knows the answer, look at multiple credible sources like i always tell people it's just like if you were to get into the stock market you're not going to just read one you know mm-hmm. hedge fund article or one company right you're going to research 
multiple different sources. You're going to watch this show. You're going to watch this YouTube channel. You're going to listen to this friend. You're going to, you know, you're going to get multiple things. So same thing in health is there's still bias in health, even though there's scientific evidence for stuff, there's still avenues being taken. So it's always best to have multiple sources and to look at what you're putting in your body because that's usually what leads to health issues down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, And what works for someone doesn't always work for the other. So you eat broccoli, maybe I can't. It's considered a healthy food by, you know, the FDA or whatever, you know, article or credible medical place puts it out there. But that's seriously how individual we are. And Mm -hmm. I just want to remind people that it's, you know, it's best to do your research for you not based mm-hmm. on the the generalized stuff that you read on the internet or in a book. So mm-hmm. that's that's something that I feel very strongly about is just the ingestion of things like foods and stuff like that and everyone has an opinion about it um both m- medical experts and non and and to be honest some people that I personally trust the most to have no medical degree, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it just speaks a lot of volumes of like how education and the standardized sense of how our society views it doesn't always mean it's the right thing. Um, Mm -hmm. like 50 years ago, milk was considered great and they were adding sugar to cereals and, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just, and then you see this unfold and, all these health problems and now research coming out. So I always just tell people to like view themselves for themselves, do research for themselves and ask questions even to experts, like for their own curiosity and, and get multiple resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's a, it's certainly a relevant message even just to the whole scope of this project is that it, it, it's about the individual and right, right. <laughs> that there's there's value there and that everyone is unique and, and different in some sort of way and everyone has a story that brought them to where they are and all of that matters when it when it comes down to to trying to solve problems and yep. trying to address things so i i think it's a great a great note to end on and i i really appreciate you coming on you've you've shared a lot of Really interesting insight, and uh, I certainly will be excited to do it again sometime. Yes. No, this was great. I loved it. I can't wait. I already have ideas for other episodes that we brought up, including the hamstrings, so I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, yeah, on on that note, I'll I'll let you you get out of here, but um, thanks, everyone, for joining, and we'll see you next time. 